welcome to episode 9 of the Bucketless Gamers podcast. As usual, I'm Jay, and I'm joined once again by my co-host Eddie. Hello! And today we have got three games to look at for you. So, linking into the Mario movie that has just come out in the cinema, we thought it'd be a good time to start looking at Mario games, because there's quite a few of them in the list. So we've decided to group the 3D offerings of Super Mario Galaxy, Super Mario Galaxy 2, and Super Mario 64, which... I don't know how to put this. I love one of them, and the other two I'm completely indifferent to, but I think there's probably a fair bit we can say about them, so we think we've we've judged this in group in three together. Hopefully we won't run out of time, or conversely come up massively short. We're going to do them out of order, which is a bit unusual compared to how we do it, but Super Mario Galaxy 1 is 42, and Super Mario Galaxy 2 is 82, um, but it wouldn't really make sense to talk about the second one before we've talked about the first one. So we'll jump to number 42, Super Mario Galaxy, released in 2007 for the Wii. I don't know about you, but I was I was quite excited for it to come out, and then I was just completely meh when it did. I played it, and I wouldn't say I dislike it. I enjoyed playing it, but it just wasn't what I expect from a Mario, a 3D Mario game. Yeah, um, and I know we were discussing this before we before we came on, but and we've discussed it every time we've mentioned Mario Galaxy and Mario Galaxy Two. But my hype for Mario Galaxy was based off how much I enjoyed um, Mario Sunshine. And I know a lot of people really dislike it because you have the little flood hover pack thing um, that takes away from the complexity of the 3D platforming side, really, that Mario game, 3D Mario games are uh, associated with. But I, I got such enjoyment out of Mario Sunshine and then to get hyped up for Mario Galaxy for it to be a bit meh was a bit of a letdown really. I know they had the waggling the Wii remote gimmick of how to control Mario and make him jump and do his wall runs and backflips and stuff like that. But they could have made it a little bit more difficult. I don't recall finding it particularly challenging, whereas I was at the screaming edge of frustration with some levels in Mario Sunshine. Was it the docks? All of it. Just There were, there were <laughs> so many. My issue with Galaxy is it feels like a collection of not mini games, but like mini, which it is, I suppose, like mini, mini levels. None of them feel substantial. Like Mario 64, the le- the levels feel substantial. There's a lot to do in each one, and you can pick and choose as long as you get enough stars. Jump forward, go to a different one, come back later to get some of the, the ones that have eluded you. And it feels like there's a lot going on there. And even if you look at some of the Mario 64 levels, some of them aren't particularly big, but they packed a lot into them. So the one with the big snowman in the middle of it is quite a small area when you look at it. But there's loads to do and there's loads of different ways you can get stars. Galaxy just feels like it's tiny little spaces that don't have an awful lot in them. And it's built purely around the, oh, there's a bit of gravity mechanics and, like you say, the the Wii controls, which... Well implemented, one of the few games that actually implemented the motion controls quite seamlessly. But for me, it just wasn't what I was hoping for, coming off the back of Mario 64 and then Sunshine, which again, Sunshine had huge levels, loads to do, bigger than 64, if anything, the levels, and and there was a lot in them. Plus you had that hub world that was huge. One of the things that I, I like about Galaxy is the hub world. Like, I really like the hub world. And you can spend ages walking around there and discovering things. It's just the actual levels just felt a bit of a chore compared to some of the other Mario 3D games. Yeah, and I think 
Um, despite the fact that it's obviously, uh, I mean, for Mario 64 first 3D foray into, for Mario games anyway, um, into 3D space, um, it's 10 years, 11 years on for Mario Galaxy, but we've lost a hell of a lot of verticality in levels. The only verticality you get in levels is when you're using the sling stars to shoot yourself up onto different areas in the game, whereas the the majority of the gameplay and the challenge in Mario 64 was how do you get yourselves to those higher places um, and the platforming element behind that. I mean, there's still platforming in Galaxy, but it's very horizontal. There's very little vertical or diagonal movement for you. It's It's just very run ahead and try and bridge gaps or use sling stars to launch yourself onto different areas. There's no real depth of challenge to it. Yeah, the only one I can remember off the top of my head that had any sort of working your way up platform is the one, it's like a honeycomb one, or where you can get the bee suit, and you sort of climb up a cliff edge to get to another area, but then that's it, then you're back on the flat bit again, and I think there's a few flowers you can climb, but that's about it, so I get what you're saying in that, yeah, it's it's a different type of challenge, it's almost the original Mario's, but going forward instead of going sideways. You've got the gaps to traverse and the pits, but you've no, like, yeah, the world's in, it's hard to describe what I'm trying to put across, but the world's in Mario 64 feel big in, in expansion and height, like you say, like the the very first level in it, when you, you've got to climb to the top of the the mountain to fight King bob that's a lot to get up, even though it's probably not, it's just a couple of paths. Back then, when you first played that, you were like, this is a masterpiece compared to what we were expected on the 2D plane. And I just feel like Galaxy felt like a step backwards. And I know a lot of people really enjoy it, and I didn't dislike it. But it just, for me, it's a bit of a misstep in the 3D games. When you look at 64, uh, Sunshine, Odyssey, the Galaxy ones don't seem to fit in with those ones they're, they're very different and um, apparently it was built off the back of those levels in sunshine you know the ones where you're not really in a real location it's just all blocks and you have to traverse them that was the concept that initially gave birth to galaxy because people love those areas in sunshine i think because people didn't get on with sunshine because of flood like you said because they enjoyed those bits nintendo just went oh people love these bits let's make a full game out of that then and that's where it came from that and i think the tech demo with all the is it 128 marios where they're on a circular platform so you can't get lost you always end up back where you started I don't know if people were getting lost in Sunshine and, and Mario 64. I never experienced that. But that was one of the things that they said. They made the planet circular so you couldn't get lost because you would always eventually come back to where you started, which seems like a strange development. Uh, like I, I don't think many people were playing Mario 64 and then ending up in a corner of the level and going, I don't know where to go now. So I don't really get that one. But no, for me, both games are not a misstep, I suppose, because people like them. But in what I look for in a, a 3D Mario game, they just weren't it. And I know they introduced some good things. So Rosalina, everybody loves her. She came from the, the Galaxy games. Um, Struggling to think of what else. There's the Lunars. Lunars, that's it, yeah. So there's them. Um, Anything else? Uh, not that they didn't do better everywhere else. <laughs> Luigi's in it, isn't he? Is he playable after a certain point? You have to finish the game first, beat Bowser, because Shock Horror, Bowser's the main antagonist again. And and I think that's kind of what's 
the problem it, it's and I know I said it with Majora that when Nintendo bring their franchise to a new console generation, they sort of have to go back to um, explaining it for the new generation of gamers that they hope will pick up this console. So they have to bring back the whole Bowser kidnaps Princess Peach, Mario goes on a very circuitous route to rescue her sort of thing. And that's what Mario Galaxy 1 sort of does. It's like oh, It reintroduces the concept of Bowser kidnapping Princess Peach, but it does it in a brand new setting. But for the people that are... And it's probably why the game got such good reviews, because the Wii sold absolute gangbusters when it came out, and I, I don't think even Nintendo were expecting it to sell as well as it did, because it brought a lot of particularly younger generation into gaming because of the flexibility of the Wii remotes um, and the gimmick that that brought with it. But yeah, it went back a couple of steps for people who were Nintendo fans, existing Nintendo fans. And I, th- I think that's probably what the problem is with Mario Galaxy for the likes of me and you. It's it's a bit of a, not so much a misstep, but a bit of a backward step, really. It just feels simplified. I think that's the best way to put it. It's all simplified down and you go to these planets and you've got a very basic objective to achieve when you're there and then you go to the next one and you do something very similar but slightly different. And the two-player aspect of it as well that they introduced is is one that always sort of makes me smile because it's like, oh, we we sort of want a two-player mode but we can't really have two people running around these planets simultaneously because the camera won't be able to follow them and it'll just be weird. So uh, let player two just have a Wii remote and point it at the screen to collect the little star drop things. And it's like, is that really a two-player mode? Like somebody just waving the thing at the screen, just go, oh, I'll collect those for you so you don't have to run that sort of quarter of a step over there to pick them up. It just... (laughs) It was a very strange implementation, that, and it felt very last minute. But in terms of 1 and 2, we've just briefly mentioned it before we started recording, Two's almost like an expansion, or in this in this day and age, you'd probably expect 2 to be DLC rather than its, its own game that launched. So, And it was a good chunk of time, wasn't it? Two and a half years between them. It wasn't like they just churned it straight out. So it does sort of make you wonder what they were doing for another two and a half years because the big introduction in 2 is is Yoshi. So you can ride him. He wasn't in the first game. He was meant to be in the first game and they cut him because they thought it would be too complicated. So again, going back to what you said about for a new console generation, breaking them into the series with all the previous stories and mechanics. For some reason, they assumed that this 3D globe plane where you're dealing with gravity mechanics and riding a space dinosaur, as I think they coined him in Galaxy, would be too complicated for people. Our small brains wouldn't be able to comprehend both of those things at once. So they cut him out and introduced him in the second one. And also the the game file for Super Mario Galaxy 2 on the disc is something like more Super Mario Galaxy. So even that alludes to the fact they were setting it up to be an add-on rather than a game of its own standing. And then they probably saw the pound signs, thought, oh, the first one sold really well. And rather than release this for 15 or 20 quid, we could release it for 40. So let's just pad it out a bit over this two and a half years. And there you go. We've We've made a fortune. And you don't often see them do sequels to Mario iterations, do you? So we never got a Mario 64 2. We didn't have a Sunshine 2. We've not had an Odyssey 2 as of yet. So it, it 
even that suggests that this wasn't ever planned to be two games. It was planned to be one or one and some additional content released at a later date that they then repackaged as a full game. And to be fair to them, it sold amazingly, the second one. It's got a Metacritic score of like 97. It's it's absolutely beloved in the Mario fandom, but just not by me. I think it's kind of telling that when you start the game as well, there's the usual slightly racist Mario accent um, of where he shouts the name of the game. And it's pretty much identical between the two games. <laughs> and, and they just add the two on the end of it. Like they've, <laughs> like they've literally just lifted and shifted the original intro and gone, we're going to have to get him to say two again. We can't just get him to say Super Mario Galaxy because people are going to be really pissed. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it is kind of to that level of, it's not so much an asset flip, more a blatant reusing of 90% of all the previous game's content and just sticking a two on the end and hoping that no one's going to notice. Come on in, Charles. Uh, what what do you want me to record today? Oh, can you just say two in a, in a Italian accent? That's all we need. <laughs> yep, no problem. Job done. Um, but. But I think if you look at the Mario 64 and Super Mario Sunshine levels, there was always a level of ambiguity as to what you had to do for the next star or the next sun in that level. So it'd give you like a panning... When you first jumped into that level again, because there were usually like five or six stars per sort of mini world, when you jumped into those worlds, it would tell you the name of the star or the sunshine that you were looking for. And it'd give you a general wide pan shot of the entire level. And it'd sort of focus on an area that you were aiming for. And then it'd drop you in the level and go sort of smack you on the bum and go, there you go. Off you go. Go try find that one. Whereas with galaxy, it literally pans along the entire route that you're having to take and then points at the star at the end of it and sort of goes, there you are, dummy, go get that, <laughs> and, and that's it. So there's no level of... You don't feel like you need to explore, whereas with the other mm. two titles, you, you did, you wanted to, because you're like, oh, I wonder what is over in this corner, whereas Galaxy is like, it's over there. It's literally over there, just go get it. I think there's instances in 64 and and Sunshine where you can end up getting a different star or sunshine than what you were intended to get when you drop into the level, just purely through exploring. You'll be going for one and then you'll think, oh, what's this over here? You'll do something and it'll reward you with a star and then you come out and have to go back in and do the one you'd started started on again. You don't get that in Galaxy, I don't think. It's just, like you say, A to B, done. Come back out, pick a new level. It just doesn't have that openness and that the willing to explore it for the players like i you play it and you want to just go a to b and get get the job done whereas like you say 64 and sunshine you will a look at things because they all look beautiful and think oh i want to have a wander around here and see what it looks like over this next horizon or around this corner but it gave you a purpose to do that whereas galaxy i don't particularly like the aesthetic of it i don't think not any of the levels look particularly stunning there are a few that look quite good, but a lot of them are, here's a greeny yellow planet that you're on, and there might be a house on it, and then the background space, and that's it. Whereas every level in, in 64 Sunshine look really unique. You can tell what area you're in straight away, what level you're on. So I think it was definitely, yeah, simplified, I think is definitely the best way to put it. 
they've simplified them down and it worked because of how well they sold and how well they're appreciated by Mario fans. But yeah, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head with from where we've come from as like previous Mario fans, there's not as much in it for us and, and it feels like a a backward step or or like a side game rather than a main entry. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's that's fair. It does feel like it it probably had a development cycle that began shortly after the success of the N64 version and it they just didn't there wasn't the level of um graphical capacity or memory capacity for it to be made for the N64. So it was just always sort of bubbling along in the background until they finally got to the Wii and were like, yeah, do you know what we can actually make this game now? Um, and, and I think one of the other things that is a bit jarring with me, so Mario Sunshine, Mario 64, we are going to keep bringing those up, that you unlock new levels by collecting stars or sunshines. Whereas in this, whereas in Galaxy and Galaxy 2, you unlock new levels sometimes by getting stars, but then you the majority of the way you unlock new levels is by feeding the Loomers with star bits and if you haven't got enough, you've then got to go back into a level to not really collect a star or anything, but just to collect more bits to then feed to the greedy little sod so that it explodes and becomes a new galaxy. And it's like, that isn't right. If I'm going back into a level, it's be- I want it to be because there's another star in there that I need to get or that I haven't fully explored it, not just where you could spend the next two hours on the hub level trying to break everything and get the star bits that you need, or you could just nip into this level for 20 minutes because there's more breakable stuff in there, get the star bits you need, and then come back out and then feed the Lumo. It's like, why would I want to do that? Yeah, it's, it's a farming mechanic, isn't it? Which you don't want in a Mario game. It's like EXP farming in Pokemon, but at least that sort of has its benefits because you're getting other things from it. But in in Mario, it is literally yeah, go back into that level and just because you've clearly not got somebody on remote two collecting all the star bits for you, so you've missed some. Uh, so you've got to go back in and collect a load more. Yeah, it's it's not a good way to lock progression away. I don't think it should be like you say, you complete enough end of level goals to get things to unlock the next levels like again 64 and sunshine interesting fact for you just going off on a tangent a bit there is a boss in i think it's the first one which was originally going to be a boss in ocarina of time so it was going to be a form of ganon so when you're fighting ganon at the end he was he was going to have this form where he goes absolutely gigantic and you're avoiding his legs as he tries to stamp on you from what i understand and the the N64 just wasn't capable of it at the time, so they had all this idea for this boss fight drawn up. N64 couldn't cope with it, so they cut it, and then it became a boss in, in uh, Super Mario Galaxy. So sort of relating back to what you said when you said you thought it was probably around the N64 time, and it's just been rumbling along in the background until they were able to do it justice. That feels like that backs that up a bit, because they got a boss from a completely different franchise. Um, but it fit, and I, th- I think it's called like long legs or something. In yes, basically a repurposed Ganon phase from Ocarina that they couldn't fit in on the N sixty four. I mean, I'm glad they didn't put it in Ocarina because that would have been <laughs> really weird. Um, yeah, that that wouldn't have fit in with the rest of the game at all. It'd have been super weird just going around hacking Ganon's legs up. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I suppose there's a lot of it that just sort of feels like, and a, more so in two than in one, because it is, like we said, it is it's not an asset flip, but it is just a reuse of existing um, assets. But it does feel like they've borrowed bits from multiple franchises that they own and just sort of gone, oh, we'll make a Mario game out of it. Oh, great. Thanks for that. Yeah, there's quite a lot of like hark, harking back to other games. So there's a planet that looks like a Pokeball, isn't there, in one of them? can't remember which one it is. There's star bit formations that look like a rupee on one level. So there's little callbacks to other Nintendo games in there. And that the Ganon thing potentially was one of them. They just I, I think it's more that they just had it. They didn't want to lose that idea because they thought this would be a really good boss fight. We're going to stick it in somewhere. And like you say, I think people that worked on the Zelda games worked on Galaxy because there's somebody who worked on Majora's Mask had some input in Galaxy 2 because the Rock Mario that was introduced is essentially the Goron Mask from Majora's Mask. It allows you to roll up into a ball and slam into things. So I think he had a direct impact on bringing that over in inverted commas so it's probably that it's probably the core nintendo team that have worked on the other franchise on the franchises and just let their ideas run riot a bit in in the galaxy because they they had that openness to do it and i don't think that would fit in in the other mario games but in galaxy it sort of works because you've got the free reign you're in you're in a a galaxy literally where any planet could have a different theme so i think one of the other ones is you one of the levels is shaped like Captain Olimar's ship from Pikmin. So they they brought in loads of other Nintendo bits and bobs just to probably a little call out callbacks for the fans as much as anything. But it, these games, the good thing about these games are it gave them the scope to do that because a Pokeball in Odyssey or 64 or Sunshine would look really out of place and wouldn't make sense. But a planet that looks like a Pokeball yeah, fair enough. Planets are circular shaped. Why not have one that looks a bit like it? So I think that's one of the positives of these games is that it, it gave more scope to fit in those little callbacks. But that's one of the few really, really positive things I can say about it. Uh, and despite it being a space game, really, there's no reference to Metroid that I can remember anyway, which I find really odd seeing as it's their, it's Nintendo's space-going franchise. I, I don't recall... Anything remotely referencing a Metroid, or I suppose there is a planet on it where there are sort of little capsules that look like containment cylinders that should have a Metroid in them, and I don't know whether that's a reference, but other than that, there's no reference to Samus, there's no Metroid-shaped planet or asteroid sort of thing, and to be fair, with you saying that about um, the giant spider thing that was supposed to be a take on Ganon, in Galaxy 2 there is a... Bowser is essentially Super Bowser, so he's huge. So that's probably, again, because Ganon and Bowser, if you if you sort of squint, that they are sort of comparable because they've got the long flowing red hair. They've, they're quite Ganon rather than Ganondorf anyway. He's rather hunched forward, a bit like Bowser is. So you can sort of see the similarities there. So there's probably a bit of a reference in Galaxy 2 to that as well. But yeah, there are some really good bits in Galaxy and Galaxy 2. 
but they're just lost in a sort of miasma of mediocrity. And I know that's going to get me some hate for saying it, but there are some really good ideas. It's just Nintendo's execution of it, I think because they were focusing on bringing in new generations of fans and getting us used to this much more interactive medium using the nunchucks. Um, Because how long into the Wii's life cycle was this? Was it two years or a year? It wasn't far in, was it? 2007. So I reckon it was within the first year, maybe just after. So that would probably explain it. A year into the Wii's uh, life cycle... And, yeah, you are going to play it a bit safe. But then to add insult to injury and do a second one where you don't change anything is a bit insulting, really. It felt like the easy option. I think it's the whole Galaxy thing is the easy option. Play it safe. Keep new fans happy. Don't make it too complicated for them. Old fans will play it and get something out of it anyway, like we did. We still played it. We still enjoyed it to an extent. So it's not like we went, oh, this is terrible and I'm not going to play it, I'm not going to buy the second one, etc. We still did. So it achieved its goal. We still paid 40 quid and got our copies of it. So they've had our 40 quid, which is what they want at the end of the day. So I don't think you could, well, you definitely can't call them a failure just because how high they've scored and, and how well they've done on pretty much every review and poll and everything else. It just, for me personally, isn't my cup of tea from a Mario game. Um, there's a there's a few that fall into that. It's the um, Super 3D World or whatever they're called, where it's essentially the old style Mario but in a 3D plane. I don't like them particularly. I don't get a lot from them. I can play them, and they're good for multiplayer because you can have four people playing at once. But I'd much prefer a 2D Mario or a Mario 64 type game or a Paper Mario game than those there's just something about them that i don't get much enjoyment out of it just feels like it's especially the one that they did on um on the ds where you have to collect as many gold coins as you can and it just feels really really is it super mario brothers 3d2 or something on the ds and it's just the whole thing is about collecting a million bajillion coins and i just i couldn't get into that one i had it so i paid for it still and i bought it but I didn't get a lot out of that one. Um, And I think Galaxy probably falls into that area for me. Yeah, um, and I think as well, going back to what I said about Majora's Mask, when I said Nintendo usually do a new game for a new generation and then the direct sequel to it is usually... It takes a different direction and is usually far and away better. I think this is the one exception to the rule. Because Metroid Prime, followed by Metroid Prime 2 Echoes, again, took the game in a different direction and was not necessarily better, but it was on a par with it, and it did something different with it, and it, and it was quite unique in that respect. This and Galaxy 2 don't do anything different, and they are direct sequels to one another, and... It just feels like an expansion pack, like you say. It's like DLC, for one, that they've been cheeky enough to charge you 40 quid for. And yeah, like looking back, as far back as you go as well, 
I mean, Mario 1 and Mario 2 are a bit of an anomaly because Mario 2 wasn't meant to be Mario 2, was it? Until they decided us, America, well, Americans and Europeans weren't cut out for hardcore Kaizo Mario play, so we got a different version of Mario 2 to the rest of the world, uh, to Japan, sorry. So that one you can sort of rule out, but even when you look at other Nintendo franchises like Donkey Kong Country, 1 and 2 are quite similar, but then they change the characters, so you've got new mechanics, you've got a different protagonist that has different methods of moving around and things. And then again, on to 3, they did the same thing again, um, and got rid of Diddy and introduced that baby, which was a bit of a weird choice, but it it worked, and it, it was the same again. You got a new mechanic, slightly new levels that in, that play to the strengths of the new character and that kind of thing. Whereas, yeah, with Galaxy One and Galaxy Two, it could be without the storyline. You remove the storyline, it's the same game twice. There's there's nothing different about it at all, and that again leads me to believe that these weren't meant to be two separate games initially until they realized they could cash in on it and then you look at odyssey which isn't in the list i assume too modern that was the opposite wasn't it that sort of breaks the mold of what you said because they tried a lot of new stuff in odyssey straight out of the gate they they didn't really worry about putting people off that were new to the console there was loads of new stuff in that it still kept the old familiar feel of stuff but the cap mechanics in particular completely change the whole game and that seems to be maybe the way they're going now where they're being a bit braver breath of the wild the first one completely changed everything we know about zelda so it'll be interesting to see what they do with the sequel as to whether they keep it the same or whether they've changed things up completely um but in terms of galaxy i think shall we give them a score and then get on to the the good mario game so i, I don't I, I struggle to even separate them in my head this is the level of how similar they are. So to score these two are going to be quite difficult, and I'm leaning towards giving them the same score. Yeah, I, I think it'd be churlish of us to give them different scores, seeing as they are essentially identical, except for they've added Yoshi, and you don't get extra points for putting something that came as standard in every other Mario game, the fact that he even appeared in Mario 64 and Sunshine and was playable in Sunshine as well, so they can't even say that it was graphical uh, capabilities or even that I don't get the whole, oh it's because they wouldn't have been used to a different control scheme well we managed in Sunshine and that introduced quite a few new control mechanics but no, we'll introduce Yoshi in that but Galaxy, no, 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 it's, it's too much. Sounds like they were banking on it from the start to be, oh, well, if we introduce Yoshi, we can say it's t- number two. I know the second one reviews a lot better than the first one, but for me, they're the same game and they don't really deserve a, a separation in terms of scores. I, I kind of want to go sort of mid-60s, because they're not influential. By any stretch of the imagination, there's nothing in them that you think, oh yeah, Jesus, why hasn't anyone else done this? Or why isn't why haven't we done this before with 3D platforming? It's very by the book. And usually going into space for a franchise is normally where a franchise sort of peaks. Yeah. Um, unless it's already set in space. But this hasn't really been a peak for them. I'd say they peaked with 64, then they sort of went a little bit higher with Sunshine, much to the contrivance of everybody else. 
um, and then this sort of what dipped down a little bit and then plateaued with two. And then in Odyssey, because of how much they introduced, I, I think it's gone back up again. So Odyssey yeah. is kind of like the new peak Mario. For me, Odyssey is the spiritual successor to 64. I think they're the closest two together in terms of how the levels play out, how it's traditional, in inverted commas, Mario gameplay. You've got the cap, but it doesn't add as much mobility as the flood did. So you've still got that core Mario moveset of the triple jump. And yeah, for me, Odyssey is the peak now. Like I'd, I'd still go back to 64, but we'll, we'll get onto that in a minute, how easy or difficult it is to go back to 64 after all these years. Uh, but for me, if I had to pick a, a 3D Mario game to play, I'm probably going to pick Odyssey. And I'm a little bit miffed that they've not done any DLC or anything for it by now because I want more of it. I've finished it. Not 100% of it, but... I'm not that desperate to do that, but I would like some new levels to explore and some new things to cap up and, and take control of. No pun so intended. Look, <laughs> looking at the list so far, we've got Symphony of the Night on 65, and then above that we've got Pokemon Gold, Silver, Crystal on 71. Would you pitch it in between those, the same as? I'd, I'd say I enjoyed it more than Symphony of the Night. Yeah, yeah. And I got more playtime out of Galaxy and Galaxy 2 than I did with Symphony of the Night because Definitely. Uh, Symphony of the Night for me was a bit of a retro step. It was, it, I think it was one of those, it was on the PlayStation, um, it was a freebie and I was like, oh yeah, I'll download it and I'll give it a go. Whereas this, I, I bought them both new. Yeah. Because um, I'm gullible like that and I'm a massive Nintendo fanboy. Um, <laughs> and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um <laughs> But yeah, I'd, I'd pitch it like 67, 68. Yeah, I'm happy to go there. Shall we go 68? Give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. So both both of them in at 68, which puts them at number seven, uh, joint number eight in the list, in our list at the minute. So not too bad. Although we have got a joint number one. So, oh no, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, joint number eight. So seems fair enough for now. I think they might be joint number ninth in about 10 minutes time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, one other thing to mention about Galaxy before we move on is the bizarre omission on the 3D All Stars collection. Like, why would you have 64 Sunshine and Galaxy One, but not put Galaxy Two on there? There's enough room on the cartridge, surely, because those games aren't huge by today's standards. So why would you put one on and not two? I don't get that. Or I'm surprised they didn't roll them into one game somehow and, and make it like Galaxy 1 and 2 and then have Yoshi be backwards compatible into 1's levels or something. Maybe that would break them, I don't know. But yeah, it seemed a bit strange to put out that collection and then go, oh no, we're not putting that one in it. We'll put all the others in. Because it's not like they could do another collection because then it would just be Galaxy 2 on its own. So... <laughs> I mean, you can't even say that it's because Nintendo are blatantly um, waiting for them to waiting for themselves to release the Wii and the Wii U Virtual Console because mm. they are so slack with backwards compatibility for their own franchises and their own intellectual property. Nintendo genuinely do need to get a grip of themselves, and I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here because PlayStation, Sony, and Microsoft are phenomenally good at providing backwards compatibility to an extent. 
So they don't necessarily make it so that your ga- your new games console can play the disc version. But you look at Sony's back catalogue in terms of what you can get on PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now, you can get it into as far back as the PS1. Whereas Nintendo, I, I don't know what it is about. It's like they're allergic to money because there are so <laughs> many existing fanboys and fangirls for Nintendo that would just throw money at them to get a slightly zhuzhed up HD version of something they played on years ago. But the only thing that we've managed to stretch to at the minute is SNES and NES, which they had on the Wii, the Wii U and the DS. They've finally done the Game Boy Advance, which I don't know why they didn't do it on the DS. They did limited versions of the games. In fact, I think if you pre-ordered a 3DS, you got stuff like Metroid Fusion, backwards compatible as like a download code but then they've not done it since they've only just brought it to the switch they've only just i was just gonna say with the ds they only did that because the ds the 3ds was awful when it launched they didn't want to do that because i bought one i was a an ambassador as they termed it i went out and day one release bought a cool midnight blue 3ds or whatever the color scheme was and it was crap because there was hardly any games for it when it came out. So I got Street Fighter 2, which I'm not good at, and in 3D will make you feel sick almost straight away. I got Pro Evolution Soccer, which was nice to see the 3D effect working on, but you couldn't play it for more than about half an hour without getting bored. And what else did I have? I think that might have been it. I think on launch day that might have been my two games. And yeah, they didn't release anything for quite a while that was worth having, and I think people moan and then they dropped the price of it by like 100 quid didn't they after like a couple of months and i was fuming and they're like oh because all these people paid we're not going to give them the 100 quid back that'd be silly but we're going to give you excite bike and a whole range of other games to play so that was my reward so i got yoshi's cookie and excite bike and all those other fun nes games to play and then i think they did some snes as well but it was they didn't do it because they wanted to be nice. They did it because they had to, because people were absolutely booting off because they'd reduced the price of a console like a month after launch when loads of people had bought it. So yeah, even in that scenario, they'd not done it like for good reasons. They'd done it to appease people. But yeah, and then they've only just brought with them the N sixty four titles and that catalogue is really limited. And I mean I'm not being funny. There's about 22 games and there have been ROM hacks and mods, free mods online for these games for yonks and emulated versions of it. And Nintendo can't even do it with their own intellectual property. But then they, they've shown no signs of wanting to do the GameCube. And there are so many games in there that people would take their hands off for because they're two, three, four hundred pounds a pop. But Nintendo are just like, ah, oh, no, we'll, uh, we'll, we're just not that bothered about money, to be quite honest with you. It's like, are you insane? It's the easiest one to do as well because porting the N sixty four games would be a pain in the ass, partly because of the architecture it ran on, they being cartridge rather than disc. But also because the controller was so alien to any other controller, mapping those buttons into a comfortable configuration on a new controller isn't the easiest thing in the world. But literally they sell GameCube controllers for the Switch 
all their sort of wired pads that you get are GameCube controllers, aren't they? The same exact button layout and everything. So to port yep. those games would be child's play, surely. You don't even have to do any work making the controllers work. They're already there. It just, like you say, it beggars belief. The games, I can sort of understand why they don't do it for games they don't own, even though it would be nice if you could get like an Eternal Darkness or something like that yeah. to play on the Switch. That would be amazing. But when it's games they do own that they could quite easily turn out on a GameCube, the, um, the Legend of Zelda ones, is it the Four Swords? I don't think you can easily get that. There's a couple yep. of other Zelda ones that were GameCube-related. Even the um, the special edition of Ocarina that they did with the harder levels and, and it had Zelda 1 baked into it and that kind of thing. That would be great to have as a virtual like download that you could play whenever you want no no sign of that and yeah like you say it just doesn't make sense why would they not want to do this it can't be difficult in comparison to some of the other bizarre things they've done yeah when you compare it to the fact that they remastered and redid the controls for skyward sword to work on the switch and the uh, skyward sword is one of the more maligned zelda entries in the series because one, it wasn't that great. It wasn't particularly pretty to look at when you compare it to the likes of Twilight Princess. And the control scheme was god-awful because it tried to ingrain the whole uh, Wii Remote Plus so that you could turn your sword to a slightly different angle. It's like, great, but we've managed to make that playable because it was notorious for being really challenging to... not to complete because the game was ridiculously easy and the bosses were easy but it was notoriously difficult to control Link because he controlled like crap um, and the combat was difficult but not because the bosses were challenging but because <laughs> your sword swings were all over the place but we've managed to sort that was the main problem with that one the fact that people want to sit down and play a game they don't want to sit down and have to literally have a sword fight for two hours where to the point your arms are almost dropping off because you've been waggling about with the, re the Wii remote. I can understand why they wanted to incorporate that in, and I think for mini-games and stuff, that kind of thing worked perfectly. If there'd have been a little Zelda mini-game where you had a sword and you had a sword fight, yeah, that'd be really fun. But when that's your core mechanic of a game that's meant to take eight hours, and you've got players sat there having to practically stand up to do the combat, waving their arms around... You're not going to be able to play it. Like the, the point of a Zelda game for me is that I sit down and play it for six or seven hours and get fully immersed in it, and I don't even want to switch it off, and I lose track of time. You couldn't do that with Skyward Sword because you, your arms were tired after about one, so you, you just had to turn it off and play something else or have a rest and get a drink, and then maybe you could come back to it and have another hour, but then your arms are aching by that point because you've been swinging around for so long. It just seemed like a baffling... I don't know how it got through playtesting. No, surely somebody at some point. You're... Sorry. No, I was going to say, surely some someone at some point during playtesting went, it's a bit heavy on the arms, this, you know, having to do this for <laughs> upwards of an hour. Like, Particularly not when you look at it from an accessibility point of view. I mean, it. we're in an age now where physical disabilities are catered to for pretty much everywhere. And rightly so, except for from the Wii. 
it, it was just like, <laughs> nope, nope. If if you've got limited mobility in your upper limbs or even your lower limbs, because we are expecting you to stand for a great portion of this, tough, basically. Yeah. Because the Switch has done it. <laughs> yeah. Like, why was it not an option to go, right, I want to revert back to normal controls? And I don't want to do any of this nonsense. Like, yeah, it's fun for a bit, but actually, no, I just want to go back to give me the controls from Twilight Princess and I'll just use them because yeah. you've already got it there. You've got it made. It's the same control scheme. Just implement it as a, a toggle. I think um, the Sonic one did the same thing, didn't it? The the one where they attempted to make Sonic a historical character going back through periods of history, like the Sonic and the Black Knight, is it? Where he's a, yes. he's got a sword, and that's the same. That is constant sword fighting mechanics with a Wii remote that is just not fun after about 10 minutes. And again, no way to turn them off, so you just have to live with it. And and if you compare it to the likes of Wii Sports, which, it were, which was very heavily based around the use of the nunchucks and the Wii remote, you could just swing your arm all over the place, and it would get you the same effect. There was no need in like tennis to launch an imaginary ball in the air and smack it as hard as you could like you would with a tennis racket. Flicking your wrist from left to right was fine, so it did cater to that sort of the disability side of gaming. But then they just sort of went, nah, people aren't into that. They want really awkward to control <laughs> games, which they sort of carried on with um, the Wii U and the likes of Star Fox for the Wii U, because that control scheme, I do, again, no idea how that got through testing. Because it's like you use your big TV screen to see where you're going, but then you aim and shoot using your <laughs> the Wii control pad. And it's like, I'm not a chameleon. I don't have one eye that can look at the TV <laughs> and one eye that can look down. So it's just baffling. Yeah, weird. And you had to literally move the control pad round in your three-dimensional space to get a target on an enemy. And it's like, how are people with disabilities supposed to play this? I think the joy of Wii Sports as well is that it was all chunked up, wasn't it? So you're not meant to be playing it for longer than maybe an hour. You have a couple of games of bowling, you have a game of tennis, You maybe there's more than four, or more than two of you, so you pass it round and you have a break and get a drink and come back to it. That's not how Zelda works. Zelda is you sit on your own in a room and play that game to death and it just doesn't lend itself to waggling your controller about for hours on end getting your arms tired. But once again, we've drifted massively off course from <laughs> what we were discussing. We def- we did give a score, didn't we, to Galaxy? So We did, yeah, 68. We'll move, we'll move on from that. We don't actually have that much time left now to talk about the the good Mario game out of these three, in my opinion, which is Mario 64. So this is number five on the list, coming in just behind Tetris, bizarrely, but that's another argument for another day. Yeah, Mario 64, for me, personally, holds a lot of nostalgia, and I think that's why I hold it in such high regard. I remember going into the aforementioned virtual reality games shop in Meadowall that I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, and they had it set up on a console in there just after the N64 had come out. And I went over to it, and it was the start screen where you can stretch Mario's face and all that kind of thing. And I pressed start on it, and the visual of the castle came up, and it all began. And I was just absolutely blown away, because up until that point, I'd never seen anything like it. 
I didn't have a PlayStation, I don't think, at that point. So I was coming from Game Gear. So to go from Game Gear to Mario 64 was a huge jump. And it just blew me away. And I remember starting to play it and I was like, this is the best thing ever. And my parents came in and were like, oh, we come on, we need to go. We're going up to the other end of the shopping center to the shop. And I was like, no, just leave me here. You're all right. And I ended up just staying there and playing it for a good half an hour. And God knows what the people in the shop must have thought. I think they probably wanted rid of me. But I sat there and played it for a good half an hour. And I didn't get an N64. I never actually got one when I was that age. I I got one maybe seven or eight years ago. I, I picked one up eventually. But I used to go to a lot of friends who had it. So I played a lot of Mario 64 without actually having the console to play it on. Uh, and that's how much I love that game. I would just go around to my friends and we'd just sit and play it all night. I don't think I've ever 100%ed it. I'm not even 100% sure I've ever finished it, as in beating the last boss. But I'm familiar with most of the worlds and a lot of the stars, and it just holds a really special place for me, just just from that one day of going in and seeing it. And that, for me, was like, wow, gaming's definitely moved on, and I'm really excited where it's going. Yeah, I think it it was pretty much I'd 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 be saying it with a degree of confidence though I'm not hundred percent sure so please listeners feel free to contradict me, but I would be confident in saying it was the first proper three D platformer that functioned with a three D rotating camera because you do get sort of the likes of Crash Bandicoot levels which is a three D platformer in that you can move into the screen, but your camera was fixed. And a lot of other 3D games that had, they had back then usually had a fixed camera. I think Mario 64 was the first one where you were able to not only move your character, but also rotate the camera in accordance with where they were. And you could even switch between first and third person using the C buttons. You're definitely right about the rotating camera because I watched... Or I'm I'm ninety percent sure you are because I watched a video the other day where they were explaining that's why Lakitu has the camera on a fishing rod because they were worried people wouldn't get the concept of you can move the camera around you without there being a physical camera that you're introduced to at the start of the game. So the genius move really because they got Lakitu as a character already that's known for flying around in a cloud. So they gave him a camera on a fishing rod and introduced him as your camera mechanic. And then the controls to move the camera are to move him around you. And it is genius, really. It, it, it does help you get to grips with something that was completely brand new to the to the game, game genre. And there is actually a little, I suppose you'd class it as an Easter egg. In one of the levels, there is a Lakitu enemy that's flying around. And if you kill him, the little picture in the corner that shows you him controlling the cameras changes to Mario because you've killed him. And I only found that out like last week. I didn't even know that was a thing. But yeah, it changes to Mario. And then you, you've still got the camera controls, but it's just a little touch that, oh, he's gone now. So you're in charge of your own camera until you you finish this level. So now I'm almost certain you're right with that. I think it was the first 3D game where you can control your view of the space. And I, think, I, I, I bet Nintendo wishes they'd patented that because pretty much every single 3D game with a rotating camera has cribbed off that somewhat chronic in the last 
20 or so years since Mario 64 was released. It's the only way to do it, isn't it? And a lot of games don't do it well. I don't think now Mario 64 does it well in terms of where that mechanic has moved on to. But back then, I think that's the best way you could have done it because it's not, from what I, it's not a true camera, is it? In terms of you can move it 360 degrees, it's sort of locked angles. So you press left and it pivots around so far. Then you press it again, it pivots around so far again. You don't, you can't literally control it with that precise degree of movement. And a lot of times it does get stuck in walls and and that kind of thing. But that sort of makes sense to the the way they've introduced it because if you're stood next to a wall, he can't pivot around you on a cloud with the camera in his hand. So it it works. The way they've implemented it covers up the fact that they couldn't get that bit of the the game to work and that the camera can't go around you fully if you're next to a wall and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think it was clever. It was clever how they did it. Um, and like you say, pretty much every 3D game has stolen from it to some degree. Some much worse than others. There's there's some with absolutely horrific camera controls out there, but it all stems from that way of doing things. Yeah, and I think um, using the C buttons was their essential way of a second analog stick, which a lot of games have defaulted to now. So your right analog stick is for moving your character, and the left analog stick, or what would have been the C buttons, was for moving your camera. And I can never understand modern games that make the left analog stick do something else. There are some games that use the left analog stick to attack. Like, you move the analog stick and it swings your sword. And it's like, just leave it alone. Just, it, it likes controlling the camera. <laughs> just just leave it be. <laughs> it knows what it's doing. <laughs> just let it do that. I think the only game I can think of where that works well is the old Fight Nights, where the analog sticks are your fists, essentially. So if you swipe one up and left, it does a like a hooked punch that way. Or if you knock it down and up, it does an uppercut and that kind of thing. Because you're not worrying about the camera in that situation. The camera's fixed. So that works. But yeah, in, in terms of games where there is a moving camera, it has to be on that stick. That's the only place it makes sense to be. I've played ones where it's on the shoulder triggers, so you hold one down to move it. But it's just so yeah. slow that way. You either implement it and it's too quick or it's too slow. You've not got that gradual easing in that you've got with an analog stick and the freedom of direction. So I think you're right. It needs to be on there, really. And in terms of Mario 64, I don't. there's not an awful lot you can say about it other than it is brilliant and... For its time, it was probably the best game ever when it came out. For me, anyway, I can't think of a game before that where I was so blown away by how good it was and how immersive it was. Because you come in from a time where games were on Mega Drive and SNES on the smaller cartridges. You still got really long games on them, but not really long games that look like that and really long games that could do what that could do. So for me, it was the the combination of this looks amazing, like something I've never seen before. And it's going to take me like 30 hours to finish it, if if not longer. So you get in that value of, I've got so much of this. So even though I'm enjoying it, I know I've got loads more to do. It's not like I'm going to finish it in five hours or something. And, and then I've finished it and I've no more to play. There's so much to do. Even after you've completed it, to go back and get all the stars can take you hours more afterwards. So I think it was that that 
aspect for me that you've got those two things and then it looks great for its time it doesn't look great now um but for its time although it does have a charm like the the characters in it and things the way they've made them out of the 3d assets they do look quite charming like the the bobombs and and goombas that look really weird and the coopers and and cooper the quick in particular he's very angular but it still looks quite like charming and endearing and i don't know if that's me saying that because i saw it when it was fresh and we'd only ever seen a 2d cooper so to see a 3d one was really something special but i i do quite like how it looks for how even for how rough it is around the edges i still think it looks brilliant Uh, i think it is hard to go back to in terms of, as you say, the visuals are of their time and were far and away groundbreaking in their aesthetics for the time. But they do look a bit like plasticine versions of Reboot now, which is, is not the compliment it sounds like. Um, <laughs> they're very angular. The shading and texturing is, is just non-existent at all. And the game feels a bit slow to control because i've got the 3d all stars collection so i went back and i tried to play it and mario is not as responsive as you want him to be (laughs) that there is sort of again stickiness to how he moves but it's like he's moving through treacle it's not the stickiness of the controls he just feels like he's running through treacle and i get that that's non 60 fps frame rates and stuff like that that we've our eyes have become accustomed to now as gamers because we are horrendously spoilt with the offerings that are given to us these days. But tr- trying to go back to it is a bit... And the jumping in 3D space is a tad imprecise, but for its time is utterly forgivable because I think it was one of the first games on the N64. Yeah, And the N64 was a, was at the time a was... Title? I think so, because... I think it was a pack-in, wasn't it? Yeah, 96, 97, and insane with Mario. Um, But yeah, it's all of it's forgivable, and it did try and do new stuff other than the 3D camera, because Mario's got health in this, which he never had. He had lives, and he still has lives in this, but you had like a little pie chart health bar that when you got hit, it took a segment off. And then when you lost all of those, you died and lost a life. It actually made use of coins, didn't it? Because they fill your health back up, which up until that point, coins have just been a collectible to get. And if you got 100, you got a life. Whereas on this, if you're in trouble and you've run out of energy, you collect a few coins, it fills straight back up again. Which is something I always forget about Mario 64, is that life mechanic until I start playing it again. And then I remember, so yeah, you can afford to take a few hits. doesn't have the mushroom mechanic of the previous games in terms of getting bigger or smaller. You're always just regular old Mario, no matter what. You can get some caps, can't you? So the early introduction of Cappy from Odyssey, I suppose, you can get a wing cap so that you can fly. The flying controls are horrific. That was, yeah. I mean, flying controls in most games aren't great, but this is like... I reckon Superman 64 controls better than this in terms of the flying mechanics. It is that bad. Because you don't fly, fly, do you? You sort of, you have to use your momentum. You have to sort of get to the top of sort of peaks and then dip and then use that momentum to climb again. And in 3D space, when you're only experimenting with it and your camera isn't fully 3D, 3D, so you're trying to work out where you're going, 
And when you're new to the whole moving in 3D space, it does not control well at all. I think Toy Story put it best. It's falling with style. You're not actually flying. And it's it's the cape. It's almost the cape from Super Mario World where you can do the flop, isn't it? Where you flop down and then you get higher because of how fast you nosedive. So it's that mechanic, but in a 3D space where they expect you to do really tight precision collecting of things. So that isn't fun unless you're in... I think you can get it in the first level, can't you? And it's quite an open space. And you can get it in the desert level. So in those two, you can actually fly around and it's quite enjoyable to see the whole landscape and figure out where you want to land. The ones where you actually have to fly through rings and collect red coins, they are not fun whatsoever. Uh, there's a cap that turns you into Metal Mario, so you can walk around underwater, but it's cause sort of pointless because you can swim. So I've never really understood that. Other than pressing buttons underwater, I think that's its only use, isn't it? Or, or if there's a current, you don't get swept away. Yeah, and don't you don't you need oxygen when you're yeah, swimming? You... you need to hit the bubbles and stuff like that, whereas Metal Mario, you don't. Yeah. But it has a finite lifespan, so it does... You get like a the Sonic... Um, music that speeds up as it slowly yeah. runs out and you start blinking as a character before it finally runs out and it just goes right there you go there's your metal bit <laughs> run out so now you're gonna have to swim is there any other caps don't think, I think there that's are, it but... yeah um... there's no other modifiers oh you get the shine star where you you're invincible temporarily oh, yeah, yeah. and they do spawn in and then you do get stuff like uh assisted traversal by stuff like you can slide on your belly so there is a there is a level in it where you have to beat a penguin down like an ice slide and those are quite fun if a little imprecise because again making really tight turns with those controls your control scheme isn't very tight itself is a bit weird and then you get the cannons as well where you can literally just aim yourself from a cannon and fire yourself into the rest of the level it's great so there's a lot of things about mario 64 that have been controversial over the years aren't there so there was for for long enough and even i remember this back when i was playing it that luigi was in the game and this was one of the biggest rumors i remember from being a kid was that you could unlock luigi in mario 64 added to the Fuel to the fire by that little star in the garden that says L is something or other. I can't remember exactly what it says now. But you can't unlock Luigi in it. He's not programmed into the game. Uh, he was in the DS port, wasn't he? The, he was a playable character in that. But in the original, he's not. But that was one of the big ones. There was that thing a bit back where there was a claim that every single copy of Mario 64 was unique to the person who played it. And it adapted itself, which was like a, a creepypasta thing. And it's a nice concept, but it obviously isn't true in any regard but yeah it's it's one of those that it's been around it's so prolific of a game that you're going to get all these little stories coming out of it and i remember people making stuff up of oh yoshi's on the roof of the castle and all that business which actually turns out to be on the roof of the castle doesn't he? you can't use him or anything but he is up there but that for long enough everyone thought that was a lie when we were playing it when we were kids in school because no one had got that far to to disprove or prove it the music as well, I think it's worth mentioning the music before we give it a score. The the music is absolutely iconic. Probably some of the best Mario music. I know Sunshine's got some really good tracks and obviously the originals have got the the classic Mario music, but Mario 64, the title music, the slide music, so the one that you talked about when you race the penguin, that gets absolutely hammered in Mario Maker 
for like the trolls and the the soft the anti soft locks and things like that. So that music you'll if you've watched a lot of Mario Maker on YouTube as I have, you will be very familiar with that music. Uh, the the music for the water levels is just gorgeous. Like I could just put that on to relax. It's so relaxing and but you get that feeling of being underwater and. I don't know, it, it's just, it probably is nostalgia again for me, but I love the music in Mario 64. It's up there for me with the Zelda soundtrack. If I remember rightly, if the the music in the water levels, when you dive under the water, it muffles slightly, yeah. so it does sound like you're listening to it through water. So the the sound choices and things like that were, were really well done by the team. Like I said, the textures are a bit... But even the water looks quite good. Yeah. yeah for, for its, its time. time. Um, there's a one point in it as well where you chase a rabbit round. Do you remember that bit in the in the bowels of the castle? It seems really random. And like even as a kid when I played that, I was like, why is there just this random bit where you need to catch a rabbit? And it turns out that was the original concept for the Mario 64 game. That was going to be the core mechanic that you had to run around catching things like that. And they left that in as a bit of a nod to what the game could have been. So now I get it. It makes sense. But at the time, it was like, why is there just a random rabbit in this castle? And why do I get a star for catching it? And you have to use that little mechanic in some of the other levels, don't you? To catch the monkeys when they steal your cap and that kind of thing. So it does flow through the game. But yeah, is, is it one of the few games? Is there another game where Mario punches things? I don't recall it other than Smash Brothers. I don't recall him having a punch in any of the other games. No, no, there isn't. I think it is unique to this, and it's it's not a scary game by any stretch of the imagination. Um, however, there is one bit in King Boo's <laughs> mansion, and and there are going to be loads of people listening and going, "Yep, I know exactly which bit he's going to say <laughs> right before he says it." And it's when you just wander into this room. And there is a rather large, unsuspecting grand piano sat in the sat in the corner. And as you walk up to it, it just transforms, and its lid becomes this massive maw full of teeth. And it just, it sounds like someone's bashing the piano keys as it just chomps its way around the room after you. And again, pretty much unheard of at the time, unless you're playing Resident Evil. <laughs> It, yeah. it takes you so, so left of field. It's like, ah, what is this game? Boo's Mansion is quite out of place in comparison to the whole rest of the game anyway because there's those big eyeballs that follow you around the room as well isn't there? and you have to sprint around them to get rid of them. That level is, yeah, I wouldn't say nightmare fuel, but it's up, it's getting up there, especially with, as a younger, impressionable child when you walk past the piano and it starts chomping around the room at you. I remember it coming as quite a shock. So yeah, it does some different things, Mario 64 does, and I think it does most of them really well. We're getting on to the scoring bit now, because I know every week I say we're overrunning, but we have overrun massively this week, but I don't mind, because it's it's Mario 64 and it deserves talking about. We wasted too much time on Galaxy, if anything. So we will talk about Mario 64 as much as we want, and if this turns out to be a two-hour episode, so be it. I'm just thinking, is there anything else we need to mention about it? I mean, it's... Everything about it I really like. I like the concept of jumping into portraits to start the level in the castle. That that was new as well, I think. I'd never seen that kind of mechanic in a game before. So you just walk around a hub world and you chuck yourself into portraits. But there's like hidden ones, isn't there? And there's mechanics that they're so clever. So like for the, 
big little world is it called or something like that depending on which size of portrait you jump into depends how big you are when you get into that world so if you jump into the absolutely massive portrait you're tiny and all the enemies are gigantic if you jump into the tiny little portrait you're massive and everything else is small and you can only get certain stars from being big or being little that was just how clever is that for for a game back then yeah um and and there are uh, even the jumping into the portraits bit is pretty because it gives you sort of like a water ripple effect as you jump into it and to be able to program that at the time and it doesn't look blocky even these by modern standards it doesn't look particularly blocky the effect it looks quite smooth and water like which when you consider the rest of the effects in the game and how badly they've aged it is quite impressive that they've managed to do it um but yeah, there's there's so much of it that is influential and not necessarily Nintendo, but other gaming franchises have used and taken to build their games. I mean, Rare did it with um, Banjo-Kazooie. I appreciate yeah. that Rare at the time was on the payroll of Nintendo, but without Mario 64, we would not have the likes of Ukulele. Um, Banjo Kazooie, even the more recent Donkey Kong 3D takes on things. So, I mean, even as far as God of War in its modern iteration is very Mario 64, if, if a little bit serious and better graphics. But without Mario 64, you, you've got no 3D gaming. I think the the good examples for me are, as you said, Crash, not Crash 1, but the later Crash games adopted. I know they were still run into the camera or run away from the camera or side, side to a lot of the times, but the hub worlds are a bit more 3D. But when you look at Spyro, Spyro is a direct copy of Mario's camera mechanics. Like It works identically, doesn't it? And that yeah. was hot on the tail of Mario, I believe. It wasn't that long after Mario 64. But I would put a pound to a penny on it was heavily influenced by it. Yeah, I think Spyro was 98 after yeah, Mario so 64's 96, 97. So, yeah, um, it, it is just... They were groundbreaking, Nintendo, and they do have those moments in gaming history. Even as far when you go back to things like the NES and the SNES, when they, after the gaming crash... They called it an entertainment system rather than be associated with the negative connotations of video gaming. Um, they called it an entertainment system instead of a games console. So they have had rather revolutionary ideas and the stuff with the Wii that they did with the motion controls, which the PlayStation nicked for PlayStation Move and the Xbox tried to nick for Connect, but neither of them did it well because they tried to shoehorn in clunky controllers that didn't fit with the rest of the games, and they had to have separate hardware for each title. So Nintendo are groundbreaking in a lot of what they do, and I don't think they're given the respect that they actually deserve in modern gaming because they're seen as a games company for kiddie games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mario 64, without that, all your modern 3D games would have taken a 10-year hit, 5-year hit to production because without aping Mario 64, you can't move on from there. You'd have been all stuck with 3D games stuck in a 2D plane, yeah. which 
props to it. It's a strange one as well to say that Nintendo is like a kiddie company and console because the second game for NES, I mean, you always think the first game for NES, Mario, uh, Super Mario Brothers. The second game that everyone played on NES was Duck Hunt, and you're literally killing ducks with a gun, which doesn't get much less child-friendly than that. Even if you do put a dopey dog popping up with them in its mouth after you've shot them, it's still you've still shot a duck with a, a zapper. And like the zapper technology, no one else was doing that at the time. You might have seen it in arcades, maybe. I don't know. But to get that zapper technology working where it blacks out the rest of the screen and it knows where you've aimed it at, and that was just genius and they can't even do that now on modern tvs that that's sort of lost now because we new tvs don't work in the same way so that yeah i I mean if nintendo could figure out a way to do that with the the joy cons and then do like a decent house of the dead remake instead of that mess that we got recently i'd be all for it and they did it with the zappers so uh, with the um what was it called the Lynx crossbow training wasn't it on wii that was brilliant and they never really went anywhere with it. They made that as a, almost a tech demo to show that they could do it and then didn't do anything else. And House of the Dead on that would have been... I don't think it ever came out, did it? They never did any sort of like a House of the Dead or a Resident Evil shooter or anything on it. They did Resident Evil shooter, but it was the um, Dark Side Chronicles and it was on rails. Hmm. So it was just an on-rails shooter. It was a bit like... Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called. But yeah, it's just like those old... Uh, time Crisis. It's like another, yeah, yeah. the Time Crisis games. Um, but I'd love that if they could do that now. Because we you don't get games like that. Point Break and... Not Point Break, Point Blank and stuff like that. I used to have loads of fun with those on a PS1 with the Zapper. I think there's one called the Vampire something or other. I don't think it was Vampire Diaries. I'm sure that's a like dodgy TV show, isn't it? But it was something like that. And, and it was basically House of the Dead, but with vampires instead of zombies. Oh, and we wasted hours on that game because you you got to know the where things were coming from, so you could muscle memory a lot of it. But it had loads of secret paths, so if you shot a random barrel, it would take you on a different route, or you shot a chandelier out, or if you managed to pick off eight different bits of fruit on this fruit stand you went past randomly. If you did nine, you wouldn't, but if you did eight, then you'd go on a different route. And bit games like that I love where you can find different paths so even though it's on rails you're in control of it to an extent depending on what you do and you just don't get anything like that because the technology's not there now to to do that on modern TVs and I think that's a bit of a shame I'd like to see somebody try and get that working again yeah and I think even Nintendo even broke ground because they were the first company to attempt sort of um, virtual reality gaming home virtual reality gaming because they had the virtual boy which was essentially like (laughs) strapping a computer that only showed black and red to your face and i mean it flopped because (laughs) jesus christ they could only just do 2d um side scrolling games and but they do try and push the boat out and they do try and push the limitations of their tech and even other tech but yeah um, we, we should probably give Mario 64 a score before we start wandering again. I was just going to say, though, if, you, if, you, if you're ever in the mood for a migraine, then yeah, oh, strap yeah. a Virtual Boy onto your face and play that for 10 minutes because the combination of the sheer amount of weight on your head... And it came, it came with like a little tripod, didn't it? Because they knew that people yeah. weren't going to be able to hold this thing on their face. But then, yeah, the really aggressive like laser red and black lines that all the games were played in... 
again, to earlier point, how these things get through testing and somebody in the company goes, yep, ship that. We're all absolutely dying of migraines and none of us can look into a bright light anymore, but that console works. Let's get that out. But yeah, the the ability to attempt that and the balls to actually go, we're going to put this out and see if anyone goes for it and you never know, which I'm pretty sure is what they did with the Wii and it just absolutely caught fire in comparison. They knew they couldn't keep up in graphical ability, so they're like, right, let's try this and it might flop and and we'll be no better off, but it might go well and luckily it did. But yeah, back to Mario 64. Looking at the list already, we've got Majora's Mask and Resi for on 88 and Bioshock on 79. Would you put it between them or would is there a shout for it going higher than Majora and Resident Evil? I think there probably is, to be fair. And I mean, this is no rose-tinted glasses because, like I say, I've been back and I've tried to replay it and i tried to play the 3DS version and I've tried to play every version they've re-released since. Because uh, I'm a sucker for nostalgia, and I will blindly try and make it so that I really enjoy a game I used to enjoy. Um, and you just can't with Mario 64. You can you can play it to a, for a bit, but at some point the controller just does become a point of oh god, I can't do this anymore. Um, but how influential it is or was at the time to the fact that. Most 3D games since then have merely been aping it with just shinier graphics and they claim everything that they're doing is revolutionary and it's like Mario 64 did this years ago, decades ago, on a console that wasn't really designed for full 3D gaming at this point. So I'd I'd probably say it does deserve to be in the 90s, really. Yeah. And just to say, it's not unplayable now. You could go and complete that game now as somebody who's never played it before. You might not have as much fun as we had with it when we first played it because you'll be used to modern controls. And like Eddie said, it's a bit clunky. It's a bit sticky. It doesn't respond as well because it was designed for a cathode ray TV where everything has a little bit of input lag anyway. So back then it probably played fine, but now on a modern TV you'll notice you press in the button and it happens a split second later. But it's still completely functional, and like Eddie says, the amount of impact it's had on other games. We wouldn't have a lot of games that we've got now if Mario 64 didn't exist and nobody else could mimic what it did without copying it. So I think just for that factor and the fact that I love it and it's nostalgically a massive game for me and it still looks kind of nice now even though it's in those terrible polygonal graphics it's it's still got a charm to it and it it's not trying to look real so it doesn't need to have really ni- really up to date graphics it's just a nice environment to drop into and the music's fantastic and it's the right balance between difficult and infuriating and and easy depending on which stars you're going for and you can get all the easy ones and just about finish it or you can go mad and try and get all the difficult ones and it has that great balance for me i'd be looking at a 93 94 i'd say that's fair to be honest with you because outside of ocarina which took what mario did and and brought it into a full realised 3D world with a full rotating 3D camera, I don't think many games can claim to have been as influential as Mario 64. 
No, I'd agree with that. Should we go 93 and have a little bit of wiggle room just yeah. in case something else comes up and blows us out of the water? I don't you never imagine know. it's going to do. Shenmue may uh, <laughs> surprise us all. Shenmue might be my favourite game when I eventually find a Dreamcast to play it on. And, and I mean, neither of us have actually sat and played Jet Set Willy yet. That could be 100 cracking straight in at the top of the list for all we know. I mean, spoilers, it won't be. It, 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 the only 100 it'll be getting is as in position 100 at the bottom of the list, I suspect. But you never know. There's a few games on there that I do absolutely love. Um, and I know Eddie doesn't like as much as me. So that'll be an interesting one because I bartered a few points off Shadow of the Colossus last week. So I'm sure he's dying to get me back for that one. Uh, but yeah, I think that's probably all we can see. We've done, well, unedited. We've done about an hour and a half now. So if you're still with us and you've got to the end of this, thank you for staying tuned. Hopefully it was entertaining enough. If you really liked it, you know where our Patreon is because I tell you about it every week. And uh, We are looking at Patreon rewards and trying to make it a bit more appealing to, uh, to back us on there with, potentially, I've said before, bonus episodes, uh, that kind of thing. I've got a few ideas, so you never know. And... We are also looking at the possibility of a second podcast, which I can't say too much about at the minute. But if you're more into your analog gaming than your digital, there might be something exciting coming soon. So watch this space. But with that said, we haven't decided what we're doing next week and we're going to have to keep it a surprise because we haven't got enough time to discuss it on, on the show now. So that will be a lovely cliffhanger for you all. Keep an eye out on Facebook. You'll probably see it on there before you hear us explain what it is. But for now, that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.